Hi, welcome to Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. My name is Jillian and we're so glad you're joining us. Today, Pastor Brian Broderson continues through our series, Life in His Name, with a message entitled, I Am the Good Shepherd. In John 10, 1 through 21, we read of sheep who are in need of a shepherd. This is a story to describe the relationship between God and his people, a people who need his care not only to survive, but to flourish. God is the good shepherd. He's committed to us and delights in beautifying his sheep. Now that is great news. Looking at not just the verses that we read together today, but we're going to need to, to back up just a little bit and let, let's remember the context. And for those of you that were here last Sunday and those of you that have been going along with us uh, through John's gospel, Last week, we looked uh, at the story of the man born blind and, and all of the things that um, surrounded the, the healing of that man by Jesus. And so as we, as we pick up today, that is our context. We're still in that environment where that happened. As a matter of fact, we we ended just short of the final couple verses of chapter nine last week. So I, I just want us to back up for a moment and touch on those verses and then we'll move right into uh, the verses that we read today, chapter uh, 10, uh, verses one through 21. So, so Jesus had um, just finished um, with the man, you remember the man was healed, the man uh, was then interrogated, he was brought before the religious leaders, they wanted to know uh, how, how he was healed, who was responsible for the healing, uh, it was done on the Sabbath day, so they thought that that was a horrible thing, Jesus must be somebody really, really bad, uh, the man says, well, you know, I don't, I don't know, <laughs> basically, uh, how you guys come, came to that conclusion. I came to the opposite conclusion. He must be from God. Uh, I was blind, now I see. It's never been heard of that, that anyone could open the eyes of someone born blind. And, and so remember then, you know, finally they, they kicked him out. They expelled him from the community. And, and then Jesus found him. And Jesus said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Uh, who is he that I might believe? Jesus said, the one that's speaking to you, the one that you're seeing, um, he is the one. And you remember the man said, Lord, I believe. And then he worshiped. The man worshiped Jesus. And so now Jesus says this, and it seems like, there are, um, there are other people that are present while this is going on. I would imagine that Jesus is probably having a, a more of a personal conversation with the man, but it, it does seem that there are others present, at least maybe at a distance. And so Jesus said, says this, though, in a way that, that others can hear. For judgment, I have come into the world, he says. For judgment I have come into the world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. 
And some of the Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what? Are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your sin remains. So interesting statement by Jesus. For judgment, I have come into the world so that those who are blind will see and those who see will become blind. What is Jesus talking about here? Well, he's talking, again, he's talking specifically to the Pharisees. He's talking to people who are proud and people who feel like they know everything. Nobody's going to teach them anything. And they know. They've already settled it. And, but yet, when Jesus says this, there's, they, they kind of get the message that he's talking to them. Are we blind too? But then he says this, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But because you say we see, your sin remains. See, what Jesus is, is getting at here is that there are people who just will not believe because they've already made up their mind. And nothing is going to change the way they feel. N.T. Wright, whom we have quoted often, he, he said this, and I think it's uh, just kind of puts it together really well. He said, not only are the Pharisees wrong in their view of Jesus, but they have constructed a system within which they will never see that they are wrong. It is one thing to be genuinely mistaken and to be open to new evidence, new arguments, new insights. It is another to create a closed world, like a sealed room into which no fresh air, no light can come. The Pharisees, certain of their own rightness, locked and bolted themselves into a darkness of their own devising. So you've perhaps heard the saying that there are none who are so blind as those who will not see. And that is the case here. And so Jesus says he came into the world for judgment. Those who, those who, those who don't see but would see if they could then they're given sight. But those who don't see but insist that they do see and harden their hearts and refuse to admit that they can't see, they, they remain in that state. You know, there's times when I think we... We, we tend to assume that people don't believe because uh, they don't have enough information or they haven't been exposed to the right information or maybe because they've seen a, a bad representation. And, and those, things, those things sometimes are 
the case. But what I think we often fail to realize is that sometimes that's not the case at all. It is just simply the heart is heart and resistant to God and no amount of evidence or persuasion or good, solid witness is going to make a difference because the heart is hard. That is the condition of the hearts of many. So Jesus now continues. And he says, very truly, I tell you Pharisees. Now the NIV adds Pharisees. It's not in the original text, but in the context, it does seem like it belongs. So he's speaking again to the Pharisees. Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen or the sheepfold by the gate or the door, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, or you could translate the word parable. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. So here, it, this parable, I'll, I'll just refer to it as a parable. Um, it, it is a little bit confusing because in the parable, Jesus is both the door to the sheepfold and he is also the shepherd. But, but the, the parable itself, just in these few verses, is essentially um, identifying Jesus as the way into the, the sheepfold or the way to become a sheep. He's identifying himself ultimately as the one who is the shepherd. The thieves and the robbers that he refers to are the Jewish leaders, the very people that he's been addressing. Uh, those who uh, claim to see but don't see. So they are the thieves and the robbers. They are trying to lead the sheep away from the true shepherd who is Jesus. The sheep, uh, of course, are the people. And so just looking at, at verses 7 through 9, Jesus then says, He's, he's going to basically sort of interpret now for them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. Now, gate, door is the more um, consistently used word in translations. A few translations use gate, like the NIV. It, it can be either one. I'm so used to saying I am the door. You know, when you talk about the, the I am statements of Christ, I am the um, 
bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, and so forth. It's just, it's kind of hard, you know. I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the gate. Oh, wait, the gate. Okay, no. I, so I'm going to go back and forth here between gate and door. Um, the idea is, is basically the same. And so all who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. And then he says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest. So Jesus is the door. For the, for the picture, I mean, he's, he's painting a picture to them that they would completely get because in their world, they were shepherds and shepherds were all around and sheep were all around and, and sheep folds or sheep pens were all around. And so he's, he's using this uh, picture to teach them about um, his relationship with them and about what's actually happening with the resistance of the religious leaders to him. So he is the door. He's the one through which we must enter in. No one, Jesus will later say, no one can come to the Father except through me. Uh, the apostles understanding this, when they began to preach the gospel, Peter, for example, when he preaches the gospel there in the early chapters of Acts, he says concerning Jesus, he says, for there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. So again, an exclusive claim. Jesus is the door. You can't, you can't enter in to the sheepfold. You can't become one of God's children, in other words, or one of God's sheep. You can't become that apart from Jesus. But here Jesus says something that's interesting. He says, all who have come before me are thieves and robbers. Who, who is he talking about? Some people have thought, well, what is, is he just dismissing everybody that came before him? And the answer would be, of course not. He's not referring to the prophets or anyone like that, uh, because over and over again, Jesus affirmed the ministry of the prophets. So when he says, all who have come before me, he's, he's talking more in the immediate sense. And you can see that just simply by the use of the word are thieves and robbers. He doesn't say all who uh, have come before me were thieves and robbers. He's speaking in the present tense. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. So he's referring to the religious leaders of the day. Those who, again, are trying to, to turn people away from the door, trying to, to keep them from going in to the door. They are the thieves and the robbers. And then he says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come to give life 
and to give it in its fullest or abundantly. So we're going to come back to that. Then in the next couple of verses, verses 11 through 13, we have this, uh, the good shepherd versus the, the false shepherd. So Jesus now says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Now, we might not know this if we're not real um, versed in Scripture, but actually what is happening here is this age-old controversy between the God of Israel and the shepherds of Israel is coming to a head. See, this is... This is, a, um, this is a battle that has been raging for literally centuries. God has complained over and over again through the prophets uh, about the fact that the shepherds, those who were meant to lead and care for his people, that they failed to do it that they neglected to do it, that they, instead of taking care of the sheep, they use the sheep to benefit themselves. Listen to the words of the Lord through Jeremiah. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Because you have scattered my flock, and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. Ezekiel said, the Lord speaking through Ezekiel said something similar. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. My sheep wandered all over all the mountains and on every hill. They were scattered over the whole earth. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending. Now, in Zechariah, which we studied just a couple of weeks ago on Wednesday night, in the, um, the 11th chapter, this same, this same controversy rises there. And, and there, Zechariah, speaking for the Lord, speaks about the shepherds of Israel despising him. And he also loathing them. Wow. And so that, 
This is, this, again, centuries-old controversy is, is coming to a head with Jesus right here. And Jesus pulls no punches. He calls them thieves and robbers. He's using the same kind of language that the prophets used about the false shepherds. But then in verse 14, he goes on and he says, I am the good shepherd. Again, he says it, he repeats it. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it again. This command I received from my father. And let me just finish up. Verse 19, the Jews who heard these words were again divided. So again, we're, we're still in that same um, environment where, where everything had been taking place. So, so they're divided. Many of them said, he's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So once again, we see that there's this division, in a sense, among them. Now, three things I want to point out that Jesus said in uh, the verses we just read with, with verse 14. I am, I am the good shepherd. And then he says this, he says, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. They hear my voice. Now, as Jesus is saying this, what, what he's implying to them is that, and, and he said this before, um, you don't hear me because you're not my sheep. If you were my sheep, you would hear what I'm saying. But... What on the positive side, what he's saying about his sheep is that he knows them and they know him and they hear his voice. Jesus is describing the intimacy that his sheep have. And for anyone who has come through Jesus as the door into the sheepfold, anyone who has become a child of God through faith in Jesus, this is what you know. You know that somehow, even if you can't really explain it, you know that the Lord knows you and you know him. And you hear his voice. That is the glory. That is the beauty of, of what God offers us 
And we've heard it over and over again, but let me state it one more time. We have been invited into a relationship with God. We have a relationship. And sometimes we use the the language when we're trying to express to people what it is that we're talking about, what it is that we're experiencing. We we sometimes say, um, no, I, I don't, I don't have a religion, I have a relationship. And although technically that maybe you could argue or adjust that a little bit, but but the the point is this. The point is that there's some there's a personal encounter that we've had with the living and true God that you will not necessarily have through a religious type of a situation. You can be devoutly religious even in a context of the Christian religion. You can be devoutly religious. You can go through the rituals. You can keep the rules. You can be very devoted and very committed, but not know God. Not know him at all. Not even have the slightest idea of what it would be like to hear his voice. There are multitudes of people in churches just like that today. That's their state. And, and I'm talking about in churches. Now, of course, when you broaden it out to other religions and other religious experiences, you have the same exact situation. Because Jesus is the door. Jesus is, is the, the way into the relationship. And it's when we come through Jesus that we have this thing where we can say, kind of like the blind man said, um, this is, I don't know that, but this is what I know. I was blind, now I see. We can say, we could probably say something like that, but we can also say, you know, I, don't, I might not know all of the technicalities or all the details, but this is what I know. I know that I know the Lord. I know, I know him. And I know he knows me. And I know he speaks to me. Now, you know, when you say that today, people think you're crazy. And some people will tend to mock, oh, how that person thinks that God speaks to him. Well, why, why would that be so strange? If there is a God, if he made the world, if he made you and me, why would it be strange that he would speak to us? You would think it would be strange if he didn't speak to us. So it's not strange, it's, it's normal. It's what you would expect if there is a God, and of course, we believe there is. And one of the reasons is because we know him. And like, like I said before, you know, never underestimate your testimony. Sometimes it's just, it just comes down to that. People say, well, how do you know there's a God? Well, I know him. <laughs> I've met him. I've, I've experienced him. That's what Jesus said. That 
I know my sheep, my sheep know me. But then he said this, he said, I have other sheep not of this fold. Now that would have been a bit puzzling for them at the time. What is he talking about? Who, who are these other sheep? Well, he's referring to the Gentiles. He's referring to those outside of Israel. Remember, he's, he's among the Jews. He's come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but not only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He's come to gather in from all the world, all of the children of God. And so he is here. It, it's interesting um, because Jesus, his, his focus, the focus of the ministry of Jesus was Israel. And so he doesn't even talk a whole lot about what's beyond the borders of Israel. But every now and again, he does hint. He does make some references. Maybe you remember the time where Jesus said this to uh, the people of Israel. He says, um, he said, many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom, but the children of the kingdom will be cast out. So there he's hinting at this, this reality that his people are all over the world. They're not just Israelis. And so that's what he is speaking of when he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. But he says this twice. Each time he refers to himself as the good shepherd, he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. So this is the, the ultimate demonstration. Now, again, remember, he's, he's contrasting himself with these false shepherds. The, for the false shepherds, the sheep are there for their advantage, to benefit them, to profit them. Jesus, it's the opposite with Jesus. Jesus says, I'm... I'm here to give myself for them. I lay down my life for them. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up again. There are many, many things that we could say about all of that, but let's just stick with the, the emphasis here. But go back with me to verse 14, where he says, I am the good shepherd. Now, most of us would know that this imagery of the shepherd and the sheep, we find this used frequently in the Bible. Old and New Testament. So when the Bible uses the imagery of sheep and shepherd to describe the relationship between God and his people, it, it's doing that for a reason. It's doing that to teach us something. So there's, there's something in the relationship of the sheep to the shepherd, the shepherd to the sheep, that is like the relationship that God has with human beings. And so what does it teach us? Well, the main thing it teaches us is that 
we human beings were not created to live a life of independence or self-sufficiency. But we like sheep who cannot survive, let alone flourish without a shepherd, we need someone to watch over us and to take care of us. That's really the main point that's, that God is making, kind of the, the bigger point when he's talking about him being a shepherd, us being a sheep. He's talking about both his willingness and desire to care for us and also about our absolute need for him to care for us. We, we could say all kinds of things about sheep and we've done that at times in our, in our teaching. But the main point is that sheep left to themselves self-destruct. Sheep cannot survive without a shepherd, let alone flourish. And God wants us not just to survive, he wants us to flourish. And all you have to do to, to see the parallel is to just look around at humanity at large and look at people who are trying to live independent of God. They're not flourishing by any stretch. People's lives are a mess regardless of what they look like on the surface. A lot of times you, you can't see it on the surface, but you just, you scratch just barely beneath the surface and all of a sudden you realize, oh wow, this, this is not good here. And so what Jesus is saying when he's saying he's the good shepherd is he's, he's the one who's going to bring us into flourishing. He's the one who's going to, to take care of us. Now, I don't know how many sheep you've seen uh, up close and personally. Um, have you ever noticed, well, I don't know. How many of you have seen sheep up close and personally? Did you notice, and okay, let's say, if you've seen sheep at a distance, here's what you think about sheep from a distance. How cute. <laughs> oh, there! look how cute those sheep are. You see them on the hillside walking along, and they're just so fluffy, and oh, they just look so adorable. You get about three feet away from them, and you're like, oh my gosh, this thing is so mangy. Oh, no, don't touch it. See, that's why sheep need a shepherd. They need to be taken care of because they, they just don't know how to take care of themselves. So when Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd, the difference between simply a shepherd and a good shepherd is the concern and care for the sheep. Now, here's, a, a, I think, it's a, a great little side note. 
The word good, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, you know, you could translate that word beautiful. I am the beautiful shepherd. Wow. The beautiful shepherd who delights in beautifying his sheep. And so Jesus says, as the good shepherd is committed to the health and welfare of the sheep, he is committed to our health and welfare to the point of even laying down his own life for the benefit of the sheep. Now, I've already alluded to this, but let me just make sure, again, we, we see it. I am the good shepherd. Once again, Jesus identifies as the God of Israel. And those passages, Jeremiah 23, Ezekiel 34, maybe read over those uh, later today or sometime this week, because what you're going to find there is as the Lord is um, rebuking the shepherds, he is saying to them, I am actually going to come and be the shepherd. You who have fleeced the flock, I'm going to deliver my people from you, and I'm going to come, and I myself will be the shepherd. And so when Jesus says these words, I am the good shepherd, where do you think the minds of everyone who heard this went? They went right to Psalm 23. Of course, they knew the Psalms. They had grown up with them. They had sung them their whole lives. And Psalm 23, the Psalm of David, would have been a favorite among them. So when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, they automatically thought, the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus is the Lord. Let me just read that psalm. It's brief. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The word want means lack. I shall not lack. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk. Through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's a reason why that's one of the most uh, loved passages of Scripture. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Now, as we close, I want to go back to verse 10. And... Remember, 
Jesus is referring to the um, to to the 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 Pharisees, the Sadducees, that that group of religious leaders. He's referring to them as thieves and robbers. In verse ten, he says, "A thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy." Now, we oftentimes uh, connect this verse to the devil. I think rightly so. Because the contrast is between someone who comes to give life and someone who is actually seeking our destruction. And basically, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees at this time, they are the instruments of the devil. But notice what it says what, what Jesus says about the thief, what, what he says about the devil. This, these are the devil's intention. His, he intends to rob, to kill, and to destroy. That's the mission that the devil is on. He wants to steal from you. He wants to take away all that is good. He wants to rob you blind. He wants to strip you of every good thing that God has instilled in you, that God has bestowed upon you. He wants to just rip it all off. That, that's what he is. He's a thief. And he has come to rob. But then it says, kill and destroy. What's the difference between those two terms? They seem very similar. The word kill here is so interesting. It's not the usual word for kill. It is actually the word that means sacrifice. So think with me about this. The devil, he has come to rob. He has come for a sacrifice. And he has come to destroy and I think the idea with this word sacrifice here, and of course the sacrifices would be killed, but the sacrifices were dedicated to a God. And I think the picture here is actually, and it's what the false shepherds did do, they consumed the sheep to satisfy their own lust. In other words, they use the sheep to benefit themselves. And man, if that isn't a picture of the devil, the devil is the greatest user of all time. You ever been used by somebody? Somebody who just, you thought they were your friend. You thought they really cared about you. You thought that they had your best interest in mind and you found out later, unfortunately, that they did not care one thing about you. They were using you to fulfill their own desire. Man, it is a miserable feeling to have been used. The devil is the biggest user there is. He uses people to fulfill his will, 
to satisfy his lust. And then you know what he does? He destroys them. That's what the devil does. He destroys them. He uses, he robs them of everything. He uses them, promises them sometimes delusionally in their minds. They think we're, we're going to get this and that. And what do they end up with in the end? Nothing. They end up just completely used up. Man, I think of drugs. I mean, talk about a picture. Drugs and alcohol and all of the, the substances and the things, you know, that people get addicted to. And what do these things do? They just, they destroy the devil uses that. He gets people hooked on drugs and he uses them to get other people hooked on drugs. And he promises them, this is going to be great. This is going to be amazing. And pretty soon they're curled up on a street corner with a bag over them for a blanket. And they don't even eat food. They just do their best to get more drugs. And they're out of their minds and they're walking up and down the streets talking and shouting and screaming to themselves. And man, we're seeing that all around us, aren't we? I mean, that, that is uh, up close and personal. This is, this is what the devil, this is like the ultimate thing he wants to do. He, he doesn't always do it the same way with everybody. But know this, the devil is not your friend. He will never give you anything good he is on a mission to rob you blind, to use you as a sacrifice to his own lust, and in the end to destroy you. That's his mission. Jesus came to give us life. And it says life to its fullest. The word is actually better translated life more abundantly, life ex in excess. That's the, that's the best way. Life in its fullest is okay, but that's, <laughs> it's not even as, as strong as the, the word really is. Life in excess. He wants to give us this, man, life. You know, I told you guys how old I am now. <laughs> it's hard for me to believe every time I say it, but yes, I am 65 years old. And I want to say, I have abundant life. I have abundant life. But I also remember when I was being robbed, used, and on the road to be destroyed. And I am so immensely thankful that the good shepherd pulled me out of the mouth of the lion and gave me life abundantly. Now, again, think about that word, life in its fullest, life more abundantly, life in excess, 
the picture is the picture is that of like room space and you know freedom the devil wants to fool people into thinking that Jesus oh Jesus don't follow him he'll restrict you he'll bind you up he won't let you do anything I'll let you do anything you want. Come with me. But it's the exact opposite. He promises life. He promises freedom. But his intention is to bind. Jesus promises freedom and he gives it. And man, I just, sometimes I just think, wow, Lord, this is so amazing how wonderful life is as a Christian. And, and people who think like, oh, you poor Christians, you're just living this, you know, this restricted, this boring. It's like, it's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have, that is not remotely part of my experience. Remember, in him was life. In him was life. All things were made by him. You come to Jesus, everything is his, and he just says, okay, hey, here we go. I, I created all of this for you, and, and, and there's a right way to enjoy it. And he leads us to that. So we must close. You know, I thought to myself, this is going to be a short message today. But we must close. And so, remember in the psalm, you prepare a table before me. The table is prepared before us today. And so, we're going to just finish today. Again, the bread and the cup are here. They're here just to remind us of the goodness of Jesus. And if need be, to recalibrate us, maybe... We got lost somewhere this week and forgot about the goodness of Jesus. Maybe we forgot about the commitment that we made or, or whatever. This is the place and the moment to just come back and say, okay, Lord. And, and maybe you didn't get lost or forget anything. It's just an opportunity to say, Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord. And as we finish up, if you have never met the Lord, if you haven't come through the door who is Jesus and come under the care of the good shepherd and you've been robbed and used and you feel like, man, I'm being destroyed, Jesus came to give you life. And just call upon him today. Just say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, rescue me. Jesus, forgive me. And he'll do that. Thank you, Lord.